welcome to Deeply Curious. My name is Cody Jensen, and joining me in our New York City studio apartment is my wife, Sarah. Hello. In this episode, we're just going to be shooting the breeze <laughs> um, and also talking about audience and whether you should yeah. change for your audience or just different things like that. We had a um, creator pop-up this week, um, and there was a lot of discussion uh, through, all throughout the day, just because there was a lot of uh, creators there. So we had a lot of questions about different, you know, beginner creator questions. Yeah, strategies and how to grow and right. all of that. And it, it got all these uh, thoughts mm -hmm. going <laughs> for me. Yeah. Um, and uh, one thing that I really, I don't know, I, I guess I got uh, fired up. Yeah, you couldn't stop talking <laughs> about it. <laughs> so then about, you were like, we're going to make this a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is uh, changing for your audience. Yeah. But before we jump into the conversation, I want to let you know that this podcast is brought to you by B&H Photo Video in New York City and worldwide online. <laughs> B&H Photo Video is why we sound so good right now. Yes. Because they hooked a brother and a sister up <laughs> with uh, some new equipment mm -hmm. and so we're recording this podcast with brand new microphones brand new recorder microphone stands the whole kit and caboodle as the 90s girls would say kit and caboodle i used to think it was kitten caboodle like a cat <laughs> it's like a it's like a little cat carrier a, yeah. ki a kitten <laughs> a kitten caboodle <laughs> um so just want to give a just a huge thank you yes to bnh they are creator focused mm -hmm. they uh, they they care more about you know the the people and the connection or the relationships. Yes, yeah. more than obviously they're a company. You know they want they want people to know. Hey, we're B and H, and we have you know a wide and best selection of all of the things that you could ever want for your technological needs. Mm -hmm. But but they're good people too. They're great people, and they know how to uh, take care of their customers and their partners and so we just say thank you mm -hmm. if you want to know the equipment that we use for this podcast all of those links are in the show notes or in the description if you're walking watching on youtube clicking on those lets bnh know that you found them through us which ultimately helps us out yes this podcast is also brought to you by deeply curious merch which you can get by going to shop deeplycurious.fm you can get yourself a couple different t-shirts or a hoodie or a mug for your morning coffee while you're listening to your morning podcast which might be us <laughs> <laughs> so if you want to check out um ways to support the show just mm -hmm. you know checking out some uh bnh gear in the description or going to shop.deeplycurious.fm thank you guys for listening we really do appreciate it yep. and for your Loyal support. <laughs> <laughs> Sound like the radio ad for your loyal support. Yeah. <laughs> this is our pledge drive. <laughs> yeah. Our, our NPR pledge drive for the next uh, six months straight. We're going to be <laughs> hitting you up for those pledges. Okay. So jumping into today's show, I figured we would um, start off with some interesting developments in our life. Oh, um, that whenever you are listening to this, we are hopefully either in London. That's the goal. Or we have returned from London. <laughs> um, 
the original plan was for us to leave for London actually tonight after recording this podcast. But you know how you're supposed to check in for your flights 24 hours in advance. And so we had our flights booked. We had a confirmation email, a receipt. The charge was on the credit card. Everything. Everything was good to go. But then the last couple days, I'm like, I haven't heard anything from the airline. Normally you get some emails of like, don't forget to check in or like, here's maybe some things you need to know or whatever it is. Nothing. Radio silence. So last night it was getting around the 24 hour mark until our flight time. So I was like, okay, I need to like check, get the email and check in. I had not received an email from the airline. So I went to our original, you know, confirmation email and it, it, uh, at the bottom, there was no link for the website, but it said, you know, if you need to change a reservation or whatever, whatever, check out our website. And I was like, okay, well, there's no link here. So mm-hmm. I went to Google and I Googled um, Primera Air, um, you know, to get the website. Well, the first hit was not their website and in fact was a news article from yeah. October 1st. This mentioned something about Primera Air shutting down. And then I went to the second one, and yeah. it was Primera Air files bankruptcy and stranded and strands uh, customers at terminals. Yeah. Third one, Primera Air uh, abruptly cancels all flights and services. Yeah. And then the fourth one, again, another news article, another news article, all from October 1st and 2nd. And Sarah is uh, sitting on the couch next to me watching some, Love uh, Actually. Yeah, a movie. And... <laughs> I'm kind of like frantically on my computer and she's like, what, what are you doing? And I'm like, nothing, don't worry about it. And I like, I wanted to make sure, sure before I, cause I gave... get immediately, uh, anxious yes. about everything. So. so I was, you know, trying to make sure I had all my facts and, you know, basically trying to find the solution before I announced the problem. Yes. Well, uh, after a few minutes of searching, I paused the movie. There was no solution. There was no solution. <laughs> and I was like, um, well, <laughs> See that you know, like going to London tomorrow. Um, yeah, that that airline yeah. literally filed bankruptcy. So and shut yeah, down. yeah. So they they just completely disappeared. They left customers completely stranded. We never even got a notification or a cancellation like that. They just like pretended like nothing was happening. I guess I don't even know. So I called the credit card company, which this was. 11 p.m. Yes. Right. We're supposed we, like, to fly was, out by at 9 p.m. I was about to go to bed. Yes. I was just like, well, before I go to bed, I'm going to check in for our flight so I don't have to do it in the morning. Yeah. And so 11 p.m. and I call the credit card company and I was like, um, apparently we have flights to London tomorrow, but apparently the airline filed bankruptcy and I never got a notification about anything. <laughs> like, What do I do? <laughs> so they obviously they were like, oh, yeah, I've gotten several calls. She said, is it Primera Air? And I said, yes. She was like, you didn't get a notification. And I was like, no. She was like, oh, my gosh, I've gotten so many calls from people who booked with Primera Air. It was like such a mess so anyways they got us our money back but we didn't have a flight to london for tomorrow right and we, <laughs> and we, our, and we booked these months in advance like six months ago and because we wanted you know obviously we're frugal yeah we get these things cheap yeah and, and obviously oh, we were probably in primary air obviously we were trying yeah, to get i don't cheap. really <laughs> care about having like a fancy airline 
Um, but I want the airline to be reliable. Right. So <laughs> anyway, our friend is already over there who we're going with. We already paid and booked for our Airbnb. I was like, I am not not going to London. Like I already, I, I'm going to London. It's in my head. It's happening. And this is our 10 year wedding anniversary yeah. trip that we're going on. I was we, so. I'm just going to like, uh, well, there's always next year. Yeah. I was so irritated. So anyways, it was like a two hour f- anxiety feel filled time frame of searching for a flight and we finally found one it's more expensive but it's like it doesn't hurt too much to pay the extra money you know yes (laughs) so we were able to get almost the same uh flight time it's yeah it's it's a we'll we'll get there on the same day just like eight hours later so we're not losing too much time so um it, it we aren't losing too much time. We are losing a few hundred dollars. Um, yeah. So if you want to go to shop.deeplycurious.fm. Uh, help us out. Help us out. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, it was a crazy night. And then I couldn't calm down because I was literally just freaking out for two hours. Yeah. And then I was th- sitting here thinking, leave it to an airline started in 2004 this millennial airline to literally go bankrupt and ghost us ghost everybody that's exactly what happened stupid millennials can you believe that i could not believe that i don't need a fancy airline but my gosh courteous is nice like i I was reading even if you just send an email that's like hey by the way we're bankrupt we can't even afford an email yeah (laughs) (laughs) i like i should have known this months ago like even their website was completely down. Like if you yeah, if you, you go it to load. it, it just says like it has a phone number and that's it. Yeah, it's just like a loading screen. It's it was crazy. And then I started reading some of those articles, and it was saying that it was so abrupt that like even employees mm-hmm. of the airline were stranded in foreign countries. Yeah, with no, no way to way, get home. Like the no company paid way to get home correct they had to find their own way home and like pilots were in the sky mm -hmm. learning that they did not have a job when they landed yeah and even customers in other countries stranded no flights home they they couldn't they couldn't get anywhere they just like show up to the airport and they're like oh your airline's bankrupt sorry like oh (sighs) also what's weird to me is how is this not like a big news story? Exactly. That's what I can't figure. Like, I, I feel like I should have heard about this, but I saw nothing online about it. I mean, I would say there were like articles online because they've all popped up yeah, when I searched but for it. it but it would have, I mean, usually stuff like this is like pretty. That seems like a pretty sensational story that would. Uh, yeah, you know, it did not make th- my Twitter th- feed. Th- that the news cycles would uh, <laughs> eat up. You know? It did not make my Twitter feed. That's for sure. I wonder what other big news happened around October 1st and 2nd that that wouldn't be the case. I don't know. Hopefully it wasn't something really bad that I'm forgetting and everybody's like. <laughs> Duh. You're so insensitive. <laughs> uh, um, well, um, anyways, not that you can because they're bankrupt, but never fly primary. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe don't. Yeah. Fly yeah. airline started in 2004. Yeah. <laughs> Gosh, I could not believe it. I was literally just like face in my hands what the crap is happening for like two hours i could not believe it so anyways yeah our vacation is starting out great (laughs) in new york city (laughs) but you definitely have a podcast to listen to we Um, had time to record the podcast and a a story to tell (laughs) 
also, that's true. I I will appreciate this later down the line because I'm very much about um like the experience of something. Like if it makes a good story, I'm not I'm not too mad about it. You know, like, yeah. Well, it'll be a fun story later. So there we are. And also, um, because of this and because Sarah has definitively decided she's not going to ride her booster board, I have a booster board to sell. <laughs> if you want a booster board for yourself. And Try to, to make up those hundreds and, of dollars. Help me pay for my London trip. <laughs> Hit a brother up. Uh, yeah. It's funny. Um, do you have anything else you'd like to water cooler? No. I don't think so. I don't. What does that mean? Oh, like standing around the water cooler talking about shooting the breeze. Yeah. No, um, I got nothing. Sarah is a millennial. Um, <laughs> so? <laughs> so young. Doesn't even know what a water cooler talk no, means. No, I just, yeah. I guess that's true. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a turn of phrase. Gotcha. An expression of the baby boomer. Oh, the baby boomer. Yes. <laughs> I have a water cooler conversation. The new 1975 yeah, album. Yeah, that was, was on my list and I totally forgot. Is beyond anything I have ever experienced. Obviously not on my written list or I wouldn't have forgot. Yeah. But, <laughs> yeah it's on my mental list. <laughs> it, um, it's a lot of people are saying it's our, it's the millennial generation's answer to OK Computer by Radiohead, which was their album about computers and about like internet and like how it's affecting us which is exactly what this is about online relationships and whatever it is the what what i've been saying is for one so many different sounds on this album like each individual song is like so different than the than the last that it's it's absolutely insane and but everything is like really great and it is it really is like a fantastic commentary on our online lives now and like what the millennial generation is dealing with as far as like online relationships, our culture, um, everything like that. It's, it's mind blowing. It's, it's like a defining album for the 1975. It's so freaking good. Highly recommend <laughs> 10 out of 10. <laughs> this is a, um another segment of jensen's recommend yes yeah which we do on our youtube video i don't think we've done that on a podcast kind of i mean in the first few episodes in case you're a listener yeah. and not a youtube watcher we do a, a, yeah. a segment called jensen's recommend this time it's the 1975's new album i'm telling you it'll change your life it's so good i mean what uh give me like what does it make you feel what, what give me a thought what does it make me feel yeah <laughs> literally everything um i think what i love about it is that it is a really good question and commentary on online life and like how it's affecting us and because we are the loneliest generation yet we are the most connected so and it really like talks about all of that and it talks about like suicidal thoughts as a not something to be ashamed about and it talks about loneliness and it talks about the Amer like not just american but political culture in the uk and in america like where we're at right now and just everything about it is just kind of laying out the world as it is in this current state but like not being like not being on one side or the other like it's it's not angry it's not 
whatever. It's just like, this is where we're at. And I was reading an article and Maddie Healy said something about like, the 1975 is very representative of the millennial generation. And the millennial generation is kind of all over the place musically and particularly mentally unwell. And that I think is exactly what this album presents. Like it it just does it in such a good way. And it's like, it's really honest without being like he was like in uh, sincerity is scary. Like it's not ironic. It's not hiding behind feelings of any sort. It's just like openly honest and true, um, but not in an uncomfortable way. Like they, I don't know how they did it. It's just like so perfect. It's my passion. <laughs> <laughs> so the 1975 would definitely be um, on both of our yeah top list of favorite band. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I, I've not... I don't think I've ever known another band like the 1975 in my time. I'm sure like older bands, but I wasn't allowed to listen to music until I was like 16. So I missed a lot, <laughs> a lot of bands, but there, I mean, the 1975 is just everything that they do. I'm just blown away. And this new album is like another level of that. Sarah's what you would call a fangirl. Yeah. No shame. Honestly, you should just like what you like Amen. and promote it, you know? Yeah. So that's what I'm doing. <laughs> I ain't scared to be a fanboy. <laughs> I have an apple tattoo on my heart. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Next up, 1975. Yeah. I really do want to get a tattoo for them, but I don't know what. Maddie's face. Yeah, probably. Right over my heart. Mm. <laughs> right over your eye. <laughs> yeah. Um, My favorite... Or like one thing that I really like about the album is they have this, I don't know what you call it, an instrumental interlude mm -hmm. with, I don't know, a spoken word. I would, I mean, poem? I would call it, yeah, a, it's, a I little mean, speech. Yeah, it's like, it's like a, yeah. Voiced a, by a speech Siri or, or a computer, whatever. But it's Maddie's voice. Well, it's a male British voice. I don't know if it's Maddie's or not. I think it might be. I think it sounds like just Maddie. distorted, but um, I, something I read when I was looking up the lyrics, it all it said was UK male voice. It mm. didn't say Maddie. I get, yeah. You know, I guess so, I've never heard the UK male Siri voice. So. Yeah, um, I'm not sure. Anyway, it it sounds like it's like Siri esque, right? Yeah, telling a story of a lonely man mm -hmm. in a lonely neighborhood who finds love with the internet yeah not on the internet with, with the, internet. the internet yeah, yeah. and his kind of sad love story of falling in love with the internet and then dying it is and then the only thing left of him left of him is his facebook page it's seriously messing me up even still like i listen <laughs> i listened the to the album the day it came out I'm not even kidding, on repeat for nine hours straight. <laughs> it's just like the only thing I listen to. And even still, it's the only thing I turn on when I turn on music. And every time, it's called The Man Who Married a Robot. Every time it comes on, it just messes me up every time. It's such, I mean, like one of the lines is like, he took the internet everywhere, you know, with him. He, even to parties of, kids of lesser important friends you know and like 
because we're so glued to our phone, even when we're with people, like Mm -hmm. it's the thing that we grab, I guess it's man, it messes me up. It's such a good commentary. Yeah. And I think that's a good like segue into kind of the conversation that I've been thinking about is this conversation of should we cater to an online audience right or to an audience in general but i mean kind of the the genesis of this is an online audience Mm -hmm. because a little backstory if um you know basically if if you aren't familiar or you didn't see the last um video from the pop-up we were there and we were answering a lot of questions from people that we met and we had a panel that we were answering uh, panel discussion questions and uh, audience Q&A and some things that came up were things like if you, you know, have been working on, you know, your art, your YouTube or mm-hmm. whatever and, you know, it's been a year and you only have 200 subscribers and you're, you know, discouraged and you're going to quit and all this stuff, like what advice do you have and what do you i forget the exact phrasing of the question but it's essentially like how do you change with your audience like how do you you know right well how do you create um yeah how do you create art or videos or whatever that your audience is going to like how do you know how to go in that direction that kind of thing Yeah, yeah and like evolving with your audience right and all that type of stuff and Everybody had great answers to the question, mm-hmm. but at the same time, I felt so opposed, I guess. Like, I just the answers that everybody gives, not just even the people on the panel, but the typical answers to right. these questions when it is in regards to YouTube and social life, like, social be, life, in being yeah. an influencer, is. It all evolves around chasing the audience. Mm -hmm. And it just gave me such a... Or like paying so close attention to the numbers of like, okay, more people watched this title. Right. So I'm going to do more things along the lines of that. That kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And my answer in, in the panel discussion was that I don't think that you should change for your audience. Yeah. Because why would you change your content, the things that you love, the thing that you are doing, your passion, why would you change your passion and the art you are creating for a sea of numbers? Right. Or, you know, it's like, yeah, there are there are people and there are faces behind all of those numbers. Yeah. But to to like chase the 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 growing numbers Mm -hmm. by changing yourself and changing the things that you are making is absurd to me and that i think that if what you should do if your audience does not like the your art then i think that you should just get a different audience right find a new audience or educate your audience on how to love what you make right or you know however that is which i understand is much harder well i think if you take it outside of youtube right because i think or at least that's the space we're in but i don't know if it's the same on instagram or whatever Mm. you take it outside of socials and like any other art people aren't like oh my gosh you don't like this okay i'll change it right you know like um any musicians or artists they don't (laughs) 
they don't sit in a room thinking like, okay, this song people didn't like. So I'm going to like change my songwriting to match what people want, right? Like, no, they sit in a room and they come up with a song and they think, this is a good song. I like this song. And then they put it out there, you know, or even like um, illustrators or painters or whatever, like any other art medium, they're not sitting around going like, oh, you don't like that? Okay, I'll change it. Like that's, so I think the, the difference in socials is that for some reason that's, that's become the norm. And I think it's a little weird. I think it's strange to create your art based on like some, again, they're all real people and they're very much appreciated, but some stranger you don't know, Mm -hmm. right? Like you're going to let them influence who you are. And that is wild and not why they followed you in the first place. Like people don't follow you because you're going to dilute yourself to what they want. They follow you because you're inspiring. So like you have to stay true to that in some form or fashion. Right. And if you like, okay, so I kept thinking, this was just going on and on in my mind, like for the next day, I just kept thinking of all of these things. (laughs) Yeah. So I have a lot of anecdotes, basically. Mm -hmm. And one of those anecdotes that I thought of is like, even in the YouTube space, like, um, for, you know, people would consider like Casey Neistat to be the number one you know kind yeah like of, the golden like, rule like vlogger yeah you know like there's bigger youtubers out there but as far as like vlogging he's like but like at the top gold standard you know, yeah like the, the yeah. youtube golden boy that type of thing basically he has 10 million subscribers i mean at least last time i knew yeah and like every a large large majority of people love what he does and my question like is to ever you know because but the, what, the reason I bring them up is because a lot of new creators and stuff, they are all, they're like trying to be Casey or mm-hmm. they use it, Casey as inspiration to start and like find right. their own voice through that and all Which that Which is great. Stuff. We've talked right. about that before. But my question is, when have you ever seen Casey change for his audience? Right. He's never, I've never, I don't, I've been watching him for a long time yeah. and I have never seen him change his content or do something different because that's what his audience demanded of him right casey has been casey which is why he's successful Mm -hmm. because he's a different unique voice yeah so if you're gonna another like example or a story that goes with that is two things one you have uh the famous kind of quote or whatever from steve jobs of him saying that people don't know what they want Mm. until they have it Mm -hmm. which is why he never did focus groups for apple products and i don't think apple still does focus groups um and you have to show them what they want right it's like if you bring it's like if you were trying to make the very first ipod or the very first iphone or whatever and you you know brought in a committee basically that's what a focus group is you brought in a committee a group think to this thing you wouldn't come up with the iphone you would come up with the sidekick Mm -hmm. or you know whatever it is and then you 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 didn't revolutionize anything you didn't right because you diluted everything down to fit the majority right yeah and another uh a story that i always i love this story and it it makes me think about um, whenever this was coming up, I made me think about it again. And 
it's the story of, I think it was in a TED talk, but um, it it's basically a guy. He's in a large room of people, and he tells the entire group, what I want you to do is pair up in twos. I want you, or maybe it was start with four people or whatever. Uh-huh. I want you to get in very small groups, and I want you to decide amongst yourselves what is the group's favorite color. Okay. And then he said, you know, after like two minutes of letting them do that, he said, all right, now you merge with another group and do the same thing. Mm. And he said, now, and then after that, it was like, now you merge and do the same thing, merge and do the same thing until there was two huge groups. You know, it could have been, I don't know how big the room was, but let's say, you know, a group of 100 and another group of 100. He said, all right, now spokesperson from each of the group get together and now decide the collective favorite color of the room. Mm-hmm. And then he said, I'm going to take this um, clipboard and he's going to write um, mm-hmm. what, what, he what, what he thinks it is. And he writes it down. And he says, okay, what's the group's favorite color? And they say, blue. And he turns his clipboard around and he had written blue. I knew it was going to be blue. And he <laughs> said, I have done this, you know, how many ever times? And it has never not been blue. Yeah. Because the the collective mindset, and, and it's also, um, I don't remember exactly how this went, but Basically, it was like, but how many people in the room actually their favorite color is blue? You know, and it was like, you know, 25, 30, whatever percentage it was. But it wasn't like a a vast, like 75%. And, you know, that it was, it was the fact that whenever blue is the least offensive Mm -hmm. number Mm -hmm. or color. Yeah. And it's like we, in a committee, in a group think, if you just take, you know, the loudest voices or you just like, I don't know, like water down the, yeah. the opinion or water down the, the the voice of every person, you just end up with blue because it offend, it doesn't offend anybody. Right. And so if that take that analogy, take that concept and apply that to you having an audience mm-hmm. and your audience is out there and there's going to be lots of voices that come through in that. And they think what they want is for you to make their favorite thing or for you right. to make the group's like collective idea of what this thing is. But in reality, yes, that may bring you short term, I guess, YouTube success. Right. But that isn't the way to build a long lasting fandom or audience or be to be truly right, I, yeah. influential because you're not influencing them they are influencing you yeah like you're you're creating art based on what other people want and eventually that it's just not it's not the same like it's just not going to be you right. you know i think it's also weird to me in in the context of like social um jobs i guess youtube instagram whatever um because we're basing all of that all of what the audience wants to see you know quote unquote Mm -hmm. on algorithms and i wonder how much how much that plays a part in you know what i mean um because i mean you could create something that maybe most of your audience actually does want to see but none of them will see it because the algorithm didn't push it or right. something. You know what I right. mean? Or like you're basing like, like what it wasn't photos the most... people want to see based on how many likes you get on certain types of photos. Right. 
but we all know Instagram's broken. Like we, we all know that. So yeah. I, it, it makes me wonder how much of that goes into it too. Yeah. Well, it also, I, I want to define the conversation a little bit before yeah. I get, give another opinion is that I, I am approaching this conversation as people creating art. Correct. You could approach this conversation as people creating an alternative job for themselves. Right, like, um, I do think like artist and entrepreneur are like very blurred. They're kind of this, you know, like yeah. they can be a lot of the same. But I, I would define it as like art, artist versus entrepreneurial. Yeah, because there could be because you can create a job out of YouTube, gr- like right with that strategy with following what an audience wants to see, et cetera, et cetera. Right, like being like completely niche and yeah. following an audience and doing all this stuff and, and building great. like big numbers. It's you know, admirable. It's like, if that is your, if that is your goal, like you're not trying to create great art, you're yeah. just trying to create a business, a, a, an alternative job for yeah. yourself that isn't, um, you know, working for the man or whatever. Great. You, you know, can that, do that. You can do that. Like, um, so. But we're mostly talking about the other side of right. it. Right. Yeah. I am defining this as people creating art because I think, I don't know, at the end of the day, a lot of these people, you know, starting out mm-hmm. creators and all this stuff, it's like, think about even with that term. It's right. like a creator. You're creating things, which means you're creative, which means that it is art. Mm-hmm. And you're, you're creating art to be consumed which in turn right. is makes it so easy to chase an audience. Right. And and look, it's it's like I don't know, I I kind of look at it like some of the most successful people did not follow the strategies. Right. You know what I mean? Um I mean, like Casey Neistat is a good example on YouTube. Um but even just like other artists like society the majority tries to tell you what is acceptable and what is good and what is right and what what they want to see i guess if you want to like use that term but the most successful people don't listen to them Mm -hmm. like no i'm gonna love what i love and i'm gonna make you love it and then you'll see you know it's like your passion will be contagious yes And and it really does work that way i think like all of the great artists all the great literary um figures who just like paved the way for things right they did not do what the majority wanted right and a lot and of thank them thank god that they did not <laughs> right and a lot of them did not find an audience immediately right. or even before they died right yeah uh, i i mean that's the thing i guess again the question is are you trying to create a different job for yourself or like a business for yourself or are you trying to create something maybe long lasting i don't know like something mm-hmm. that's like sustainable but i do think you short can do both growth. like i do think you can do both yeah but i think i, I think you can do both if the, if the motives are right like, yeah it's hard to do, it's hard to put into words what yeah, i'm trying if to. you're making great art we live in a world now where we no longer live in the starving artist like mm-hmm. if you're to a degree uh, yeah if degree. you are making great stuff, you can you can make find an audience for it because yeah. with the internet, we have now created a global audience where you can 
if your art is like I don't know. Let's crazy weird, mm-hmm. and you know, maybe twenty years ago you couldn't find people to enjoy your, I don't know, SpongeBob fan art that, yeah. that combines, you know, X, Y, and Z. But now, because of the internet, you're able to. It may not. Be, it may not be a huge audience. Yeah. But you could you could find you know it's thousands there. of people mm-hmm. to like enjoy it, and then how do you leverage that? You know, is right. is like kind of the thing, and. That's where the entrepreneurial skills come in. Yes. And not selling your soul for the audience, but selling your art and selling, you know, the, you know, whether it's entertainment or the value or whatever to that audience, which allows you to create the things that you want. Right. But then getting too concerned about what the audience wants and morphing your art into that, I feel like is, um, I, Oh, I I hesitate to say like wrong or disingenuine or any of those words because it all depends on on what your goal is, I guess, right? But like I for me personally, I feel like it's disingenuine to yourself mm-hmm. to morph your art into something just because the audience demands it. Right. I mean, I just like if you look at any other art form, any other medium, that is not how it works. Artists, musicians don't go into the studio and think like, oh, okay, um, this username hated this song, so mm-hmm. we need to like not put as many jazz notes in the, you know what I mean? Right. Like, and they don't know, do that. But you know who in the music industry does care about the, the audience and does care about the numbers? Record labels. Yes. And you know what all artists hate? Record labels. <laughs> because they don't let them create the art that they want. Yeah. And yeah, sometimes a record label can create a hit. Yeah. But that doesn't mean... And sometimes that- like they really are good to the artists. You right. know, like it's not that's it's not a blanket statement. But I mean, a good example would be like the 1975 couldn't get signed. Like mm-hmm. nobody would take them on. So they created their own label right. with their friend. They created Dirty Hit and... 1975 was the first band for <laughs> Dirty Hit. I mean, th- because they refused to be anything but who they are. You know what I mean? Right. And like, I-, I don't know. I just think that it's weird on the social internet that we've got it so opposite of that. Yeah. I was texting our friend Josh about this the other day because, again, this was uh, on my mind. on your mind. <laughs> um, and one of the things I said was that art used to be starving with no easy way to find an audience but we're to the point that art is taking a back seat to audience when the audience should be the result of yes. art yes audience should be the result that's perfect it's like we're now in this weird age of trying to create influence mm-hmm. trying to build this audience and then trying to create things to entertain them or sell to them or whatever yeah it's like that is completely backwards because your motivation shouldn't be the audience it shouldn't be the numbers it should be what you are creating right yeah like if you're if you're truly a creator you're truly an artist which i think anybody who is in that space is like i feel like all of us are if you want to be yeah oh for sure um it's i don't know why it's so backwards and yeah. It's it's just really strange. I think like if you create what you love, like people just want authenticity and people want honesty and something that's real and true and genuine. And like if you just 
create what you love and you love it, the audience will come. The people will get behind that, you know, right. like, and you may need to spice a little bit of entrepreneur yeah, skill in that because there, sure. are, there are tons of amazing artists out there that are just putting their, getting their, putting their heads down, creating Absol their art, creating their art, creating their art, creating the art, and they have never found an audience for it. Absolutely. It's, it's, I mean, to go back to the Steve Jobs story, it's like Steve Wozniak, mm -hmm. he had his head down. He was, he was building this stuff. He was inventing these technologies. He was mm -hmm. making it better, making it better. But it took the entrepreneur skills and the artistry skills of Steve Correct. Jobs to come in and partner and be like, okay, this is the best thing out there, but it's not going anywhere because you right. need, you know, the, the right. extra skills to go with it. And that partnership between the, the perfect melding, the perfect Venn diagram of cre uh, creativity, technology, mm -hmm. or the, yeah, just the art and yes. the entrepreneurial skills is what created now the richest company in the world, a trillion dollar mm -hmm. company that, you know, it, it, obviously now it's arguable, you know, who makes, you know, better technology. But right. what you can't argue is that they completely changed the world. Right. You're arguing over who makes the best thing that Apple originally invented. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So it's like, they completely changed the world because mm -hmm. they they crafted the art, spiced uh, like you know, brought in the entrepreneurial skills right. and n with no compromise to what people wanted. Right, but that's the point: is no compromise. I think, like obviously, you have to, especially today. I feel like being an artist, like you do have to be an entrepreneur. They they go hand in hand. Yeah, I mean, you can even look like the nineteen seventy five. They had to be entrepreneurial in order to start their own label in order to make it themselves, you know, like that, that's, that's a business, you know, that's not just like creating good music, right. um, but they didn't compromise their music in any of that. Yeah. And that's the point. Another uh, example that I thought of is you want to talk about television writers mm -hmm. and network TV and how they're are these huge success stories like Seinfeld, who, you know, was created by artists and then, you know, a network took a chance right. on them. And then and then because it wasn't expected to be a success, they left them alone. Yes. They were like, you're not going to be anything. Right. Just do what you want. They just kind of let, <laughs> let them do what they wanted. Yeah. And, you know, left them alone and ended up being the most successful television show in Ever. history. Yeah. And then you have, you know, all of these new, the new age of television, you know, from the last 10 years, you had all of these terrible, terrible TV shows. Like if you turned on CBS, you know, NBC, whatever, it's like, yeah, there could have been some good writing on these shows, but really they weren't. Nothing they, is going to last like Seinfeld will. The, or you know, maybe, maybe some of those classics. You know, maybe they. Cheers. Yeah. It, I'm not saying that all television was all bad right. because it, it, you could be entertained by it. Yeah. But to say it was a masterpiece or to say like, you know, right. whatever. It's like it a lot of it was- changed the game. Right. Or, yeah. A lot of it was just like, you just you just sit there and watch it. Like, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes you just turn your brain off. But then you have these players come in, uh, not, you know, some dumb <laughs> uh, yeah. you know, you have these big guys come in like HBO mm -hmm. and Netflix, who they give complete freedom 
mm-hmm. to the showrunners, mm-hmm. to the show writers. And they say, hey, we believe in the art and we're going to give you a budget. Here's the money. And let you go for it. Yeah. And then you get things like Game of Thrones, which is absolutely the greatest Best. television show in history. Yeah. And I mean, it's a blockbuster movie a week. Mm-hmm. Then you have Netflix, which Netflix has completely changed the game yeah. in the fact that a lot of those water cooler conversations that you have are typically around, did you see the new series of House blank of show or... that was out on Netflix? Yep. Because Netflix gave creative control mm-hmm. over to these artists mm-hmm. to create these television shows that went on to become like one of the, the you know, basically the greatest artful shows mm-hmm. that, I don't know, will, that will last. Yeah. I mean, know, they completely they will, disrupted. They will, right. Yeah. They will way outlast Big Bang Theory. Yeah. It's like. Although let's not dog on Big Bang oh, Theory. Oh, I'm dogging I, Big Bang Theory. Take the laugh track away. It's not funny. Okay, fine. The laugh track, whatever. But Sheldon is amazing. Okay. <laughs> I'm not saying Look, I don't, I don't uh, watch. Big there's Bang probably Theory, great but. writers on the show, and uh, um, they may write you know some They're good clever. jokes, but you yes, I understand what you're saying. Take away the laugh track, yeah, and you will laugh seventy five percent. The less. laugh track is a weird. When did that happen? Because that is a weird thing in TV. Yeah, like uh, it actually it happened back in the transition of television from movie theaters because. People were like weirded out mm. because in movie theater days, you know, when you, when everybody would go see the Penny Show, you know, it's like you're in a group of people, and when they would say a joke, everybody laughs, and yeah. it's a communal experience. And it was weird to be sitting at home and not have that like see, I can't imagine community that. experience. And and so they had the laugh track in there, and the laugh track was huge weird. for decades. Because like think but about then it like fell the, out of style. the office with the laugh track right. would be awful. awful, awful, awful. And actually, the the office is a great example because I'm pretty sure it was the office that um, basically led the transition out of the laugh track. Yeah, because um, can you imagine? Like, it would totally ruin like ninety percent of the jokes on the office, right? If it was like. Ah, you know? Yeah, laugh like, track then fell out of style, and now it is like you know completely normal to laugh in your home by yourself. Yeah, you which know? also, what does that mean about us? <laughs> First, it was weird that there weren't yeah. other people to laugh with, and now we're like, ew, I don't want to laugh with other well, people. Well, I think it goes back to because it's not genuine. It isn't genuine. You're right. Yeah, because it's not authentic to know that that audience isn't laughing because they think it's funny. Mm-hmm. It's laughing because it's either a computer. Or it's telling you to or laugh. Or it's a live studio audience with applause and laughter signs going off whenever on um, jokes that they have laughed at probably three or four times yeah. because they're recording a show and they don't always land every single you know line. They have yeah. multiple takes. You're right. Weird. Anyways, yes. Laugh track. Can go. Yes. It, <laughs> I don't understand why um, CBS still uses it. Like I, yeah. I just can't. <laughs> Any show that has a lap track, I just like can't get, do it. I can't do it. I get so annoyed. Yeah. Sorry, I diverged the conversation. Um, there actually is a very interesting episode. The reason I knew some facts about the lap track is because there's a really great episode of 99% Invisible all about the lap track. 
Um, That's a great podcast. And would recommend checking it out. Jensen's recommend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I mean, that was basically my my thoughts or like my, you know, the, the, the other thoughts that I kept having of just like, you, whenever a TV show is created and they start getting network notes mm-hmm. and the show starts changing based on the notes that the network is giving and the network is not artists right they're businessmen they're looking at the numbers they're looking at the numbers they're doing whatever and they're like hey change this change that change this change that and they basically are dumbing down the show Mm -hmm. and they're making it less offensive they're making it whatever and that ultimately makes for mild art right and i don't want to have i don't want to consume or like I hope I don't really want to create mild art. Like I want to create something that is me. Right. I don't not the most uh, PC version of me. Yeah. Like I just want to create things that are me. Yeah. And it's like not that I'm setting out to create offensive art. Right. But I think it, offensive is like it depends on how you. Right. Define, it's not yeah, offensive it's not, as in like <gasps> right. It's not like shocking, shocking, and like it's, saying you know certain language that demeans other humans. Right. It's more so just things that. Um, well, so the there's a quote about art that says, "Art, great art, disturbs the comfortable and comforts the disturbed." Right. And so it's it's kind of about that. It's about like disturbing the comfortable i guess in a way you're not creating to keep them comfortable right or to placate what they want you're creating to create and like nobody else should have a say in that to a certain degree i do think there is such a thing as like the trusted few who you show your <laughs> ideas to right. who can help you vet whether it's a good or a bad idea. Like there is like a certain, you know, hierarchy of how you should <laughs> distribute art. But I m- more talking about the majority of people should not have a say in what or how you're creating what you create. Yeah. That reminded me, I can't, I'm trying to look it up and see if I can find this quote, but Maybe you'll help me remember that. Mm-hmm. There's something along the lines of if you try to like please everybody or if you try to yeah. offend nobody, then like you, you like, I, you know well, what I'm saying though? Well, yes. It's something about um, if you try to, I think it's if you try to please everybody, you end up pleasing nobody. Right. Or something yeah, like it's, that. It's, 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 that's the essence of it. Yeah. yeah. If you you know trying to please everybody ends up pleasing nobody. Yeah, like no. If if you're trying to make everybody like what you do, then nobody's really going to care about it. Right. It's like you you should ultimately. I think that you should pursue making what you like. Yeah. Well, you are. You should be your biggest fan. Yes. We talked about that. And if you create the best, you know, if you're creating the things that you like. Mm-hmm then the odds are you're going to find an audience mm-hmm. that also likes that thing because you're you're not the only one in the whole world. Right. Now you may be one of the few. Right. In some cases. Yeah. But wouldn't you rather create something uncompromising? Right. Well, and it's also like um I heard because I've been 
deep in the internet of 1975 interviews. Um, Maddie Healy said something about like, your art is really just your intuition. And like all people want is, you know, truth and honesty. So like, if you just follow your intuition on in your art and like you're truthful and honest in it, the people will come, the people will find it. It might take a little bit of time, but you will be uncompromising in your art and you will find your audience. And I think it's better to have an audience who likes you versus like an audience that's demanding something from you, like some sort of, you know what I mean? I don't know really how to say that. I kind of found the quote or at least some similar quotes mm-hmm. of i don't know the key to success but the key to failure is to try to please that's, everybody that's the one yeah it's so true also i feel like well if we're talking about like youtube specific, i guess you can follow the numbers like view count but also comments i mean we even when we very first started to a tiny degree dealt with this because we made a video and the comments were like, oh my gosh, I love this idea. You should do it more, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. So we're like, okay, yeah, we're going to do it. So we did a couple more and then obviously it was like, it didn't go very well. And we were like really confused because we thought, well, everybody wanted this, you know? But then when you actually look at it, like the amount of comments you get versus the amount of views you get are so small because we use that language of like everybody wanted this it's like no only the seven people who commented wanted this right or something you know and it's probably even less than that yeah whatever it was and like it's like man you would do the same thing in real life too mm -hmm. it's like somebody tells you like two people Mm -hmm. tell you that you know your i don't know haircut is great or something yeah and you're like everybody's telling me that my my hair is great and you're yeah. like you saw like 500 people this week and two people said something exactly. it's like everybody told me yeah it's it's funny that like i don't know what it is about our brains that we're like oh you know maybe it's right. just patterns maybe I we're think set to recognize patterns but kind of kind of note to go along with comments uh, if you are a you know somebody who creates things online is that if you do actually look at the amount of people who watch or view Mm -hmm. versus the amount of people that comment it is significantly less yes and also think about yourself how often do you comment i literally never comment on anything it's like there are i'm a terrible internet person (laughs) there's a certain basically there's a certain group or certain type of people yeah who comment and a lot of those are great people yeah. with great you but know, not feedback and ideas or whatever. of the whole. Right. Yeah. But the, this, it goes back to that, um, I don't know, phrase or quote or whatever of the vocal minority yes. don't necessarily represent the silent majority. Yes. And, you know, comments can be really great. Like it, yeah. they're, you know, encouraging or whatever. But you have to remember that's that's the vocal minority. They can be deceiving as far as what you think that people want to see. And so I just think going off of view count or going off of comments is just such a like terrible way to judge things. But I also I don't I do wanna like I mean I do understand that it's it's kind of two different um approaches. You know, like there is a way to create a YouTube 
channel that's successful, that is your job, that right. is niche, that is whatever. Yeah, yeah. And that's great if that's what you want to do. Yeah. It's basically like, it's it's essentially if you were to replace YouTube with startup, Yeah, it's like all of the startup books, all of the you know, minimum viable products and mm -hmm. all that type of stuff go towards creating an audience, like finding the audience that wants to buy your stuff because you know, it's right. like, does the product that you have fulfill a need and can you find enough people with that need to create a successful business? So if you are basically saying, I'm going to use YouTube or Instagram or whatever it is, as this is my startup business, mm -hmm. then obviously it's a little different than the conversation we're having. Yeah. Because, but because, even still, because I... you aren't looking at your, you're not trying to create art or right. whatever. You're trying to create a business. Right. And I think that a lot of times with young creators or people starting out too, they can confuse the two mm -hmm. because a lot of times these you know, kids or whatever, they, they love, they want to make things, but then they get caught up in the number side of it. That doesn't really matter. Right. And, and, and don't truly fulfill, you know, their well, passion think, or their whatever, yeah. or their art or create the things that they could be creating because our minds get so warped mm -hmm. by the numbers, easily being able to see the numbers, which that reminds me. Another thing that I thought was if you do actually look at business mm -hmm. and YouTube and talk about the numbers and how artists and creators and YouTubers get so caught up in the numbers and they put their self-worth in the numbers that they see. And one of the things that I said at the panel that I, you know, un unap not apologetic about, and I'll say it again, that if your self-worth Mm -hmm. is the numbers you see online, then you truly need to seek guidance. You need to see somebody. You need to talk to somebody about that because that is so unhealthy. It's very destructive. And I think, um, yeah, maybe that's where my kind of whole, even though I'm saying like, yeah, you know, you can do the numbers, the strategy, the niche or whatever for a business, I still have like a little reserve toward that and it's probably because of that because I don't think you should pay attention to numbers. It's so bad for you mentally and like just to like base anything that you do off of that is just so unhealthy. But what I was getting at is that in business, mm -hmm. a lot of times, depending on what business you're in, but in traditional business, you don't have the luxury of knowing the minute to minute yeah. numbers like you do on YouTube and every seasoned business knows that everything is an ebb and flow mm -hmm. that you have seasons of surplus you have seasons of a little bit of downturn you know like every single business that is audience based which is consumer mm -hmm. you have people who buy your product which is pretty much every business <laughs> yeah they know that there are certain seasons where the numbers are up, there are certain seasons where the numbers are down, and they use those seasons to their advantage or you know whatever. It's like they have the Christmas season that they're gonna bring in tons of money, but then they're gonna have a down season in you know June or whatever it is, so they use that for you know employee training or you know create yeah. like R&D, you know, whatever it is. It's like there's 
There's no business ever that has a steady line that is right. constantly going up. Yeah. It's forever like it, it, it may be a growth trend over its lifetime. Like it starts at zero and it ends up at a million, but it doesn't maintain the same growth pattern until it hits a million. Yeah. It's up and down, up and down, up and down, way down, way up, you know, whatever it is in every single business. But because we um, as millennials now um, like have this new thing of online businesses with statistics yeah and, well, and analytics it's almost your only marker because you don't have a physical representation of right we have literally real-time analytics that we can sit there and obsess over and be like they love me they love me they love me oh they hate me they hate me they hate me i'm i'm terrible i'm awful i can't make anything great i'm stupid mm-hmm. oh wow i had a video pop off i'm loved yep. i'm i'm amazing i'm on top of the world i'm on top of the world next day video flops you know instagram post doesn't you know get very many likes whatever it's like oh i'm a terrible artist i'm so stupid i i can't believe i thought the people would actually like that mm-hmm. that is so unhealthy and it's so easy to get caught up in because our brains were not uh, made mm-hmm. for this type of feedback. Yeah. And we also have had social media. Like, think about this. The iPhone was only invented 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Social media mm-hmm. hasn't had its rise until even less time than that. Yeah. And so to the degree now where we spend four hours a day yeah on social media we don't know what the long-term outcome is of spending that much time on social media where the we're getting these dopamine hits Mm -hmm. every single time we get a like and we get a comment and we get whatever yeah and it goes back to that 1975 you know yeah um what song or whatever it's and it it ends with him dying and what's left of him is a lonely house on that lonely street in the lonely part of the world you can find him on Facebook. It's so haunting because it's the truth of like where we're at. I also think like on the social media conversation right now, um, it's so bad for our creativity. I don't find ideas online when I'm on Instagram seeing other photos. I don't think like that's inspirational. I want to do something like that. My creative ideas come from when I'm not on my phone. They come from outside. They come from, you know, reading a book or like whatever it is. They they do not come from social media. And like I, I just keep feeling more and more that it's so bad for creativity because again, on social media, I feel like we're all just chasing something on mm-hmm. social media, regardless of if you're trying to be an influencer or not, like you're still chasing something on social media. There's a reason you're posting your photos there and it's because... I want to share my life with my friends. Yeah, but why? You want to share it so that they can see it so that they can, there's like, you're chasing something, you know? And like, that's not good for anybody. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I just feel like it's so counterproductive to creativity. Yet we're on it half of our day. Half Half of a work day, we're on social media. Yep. I don't get it. Anyways, I mean, I'm guilty too. I'm really bad at it. Really bad at it. 
but I do like I'm you know having that conversation with myself like why am I doing this why am I on it what am I chasing chasing some sort of love you know everybody is or some sort of high and it doesn't help me create things I think you can share your creativity on them they're great platforms but I think that there's like something very wrong that I haven't been able to articulate about it yet. And also, even if you may not be necessarily chasing love from the social medias. Yeah, but it's all underlying. But there is the side of it that you, all of us, are so susceptible susceptible to just being addicted to it. Yeah. Because it plays into exactly what our brain wants. And it's like... That's what I mean by well, you, you're, you're chasing something. Yeah, but it, I'm saying that you could be actively chasing validation or love or whatever it is, but it also could be that you literally aren't, you don't even know why. You just like, you just constantly are checking and checking and checking yeah. and, and doing all this stuff. I mean, I think um, this kind of goes into a different conversation maybe, but uh, about addiction. And like, I've started looking at addiction as like completely different than I used to. Cause you know, when you think addiction, you think drugs, you think alcohol, you know, whatever, something like that. But I think we're all addicted to something. And the obvious thing is social media right now. But like, there's a reason that you find vices, right? We're all addicted to something and we're all trying to, to not have to feel something so we're like running to all of these vices whether it is drugs or alcohol or social media like you're you we're all using it as a vice of some sort like i don't i don't know that you can have again these are all things i'm processing currently so you know i might change my mind tomorrow who knows but i don't think i don't know if there's a way to have like a healthy relationship with social media at least for me every time i get on it even if i'm in a good state i'm in like a good mental process like I still I get off of it feeling like a little less good (laughs) like I'm there's a reason that I'm getting on it you know and it's because I'm avoiding something else and I don't think it's good for creativity I'm pretty firm in that (laughs) yeah but it's weird because it's where we share our creativity so like what's the balance there you know I don't know I mean the I don't I feel like very few have figured that out. <laughs> oh, well, obviously. I think nobody has. I think that's the conversations we're all having. Yeah. You know. But it is very evident that social media is posing a danger to mm-hmm. our mental health. Yeah. In the fact that all of these companies, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, they have, even YouTube, mm-hmm. they have all of their business goals are to keep your eyeballs on their product for as long as possible. That is literally their main objective is to Mm -hmm. um, attract and keep as much attention as possible. Mm -hmm. And yet all four of them have recently implemented some sort of limiter Mm -hmm. or um, the ability to see how much time you spend on that Mm -hmm. product. So you are an informed Mm -hmm. user because I think it's very evident to all of them, to everybody, that they have created a monster Mm -hmm. that 
will ultimately lead to our self-destruction if not uh, put basically if we don't start checking, you know, ourselves. Yeah. And we we have no idea what this is doing to us. We have no idea what it's doing to the next generation who have grown up Mm -hmm. with it. And that, I mean, it's no, I have no idea what that's going to happen to these 11, 12, 13, 14 year olds who their entire life have Mm -hmm. not known a life without being on social media, without posting their life and seeing people react immediately, immediately and just constant scrolling through, you know, next, 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 next of just updates after updates and everything that, you know, like what actual effect is that going to have long-term for all of us? Yeah. And I can not uh, in any way fathom it being ultimately positive. Right. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, that probably will lead to world change. Yes, yes, yes. And that's not just, that's not to vilify social media. I think there no. has been. It's great. I think there has been, actually has been think, world change through social media yeah. when used properly because yeah. it has been able to connect humans, mm-hmm. like-minded humans to go out and create social change and find or even find community find what all the all of the amazing aspects of they a global connected hum, humanity mm-hmm. is definitely worth keeping around yeah i think that there are way more positives than there are negatives in that sense but the negative is that there is nobody to tell us no mm-hmm. except for ourselves, and we are all awful. Well, and when your brain is literally wired to – because, again, the whole objective of social media companies is to keep your eyeballs on it. So right. it's it's pretty manipulative in a way. Yeah. And they're manipulating your brain, you know? Yeah. And, and like – I mean, if you just – I'm going to go on my phone right now and go to uh, screen time. No, you don't even want to see mine. And for the last seven days, this is like, like, you know, I, in the last uh, seven days, I've spent two hours and 18 minutes per day on average on my phone, which, you know, I don't know, two hours a day seems like a lot um, Mm -hmm. to me, but what? Well, that would be admirable for me. (laughs) Mine says three hours and five minutes. And I don't know what that is on the global average, but the thing that I think um, baffles me yeah. is the total pickups. Yeah. And so this is the amount of times that you have picked up your phone and looked at the screen. It doesn't matter if it was for one second yeah. or you know, you'd spent an hour on it. The In the last uh, seven days, my total pickups were 442 times. That's it? I had 63 times per day. Mine were total pickups were 739, 105 per day. But it's like, it's just crazy that we don't even realize. I picked up my phone 105 times a day. Yeah. Like. I hate that. That makes me depressed about myself. 100 times throughout the course of a day, picked up your phone and looked at it. Yeah. Picked up your phone and looked at it. Like that's, anyways. That's 4.37 times an hour. And you sleep for eight of those hours. <laughs> you know? Right. <laughs> That's insane. And, and it's so, 
it it I think it makes pr- productivity worse too. Because, oh, yeah. Well, obviously it does, but like you're distracting yourself, even if you're only again you're just looking at it for a second and putting it back down. You lost your train of thought. Mm-hmm. You know, you 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 broke through your work yeah. habit, and now you have to start fresh. We have no idea the power of deep work anymore. Yeah, because we don't. I don't think we have it. We like we have not practiced those skills I don't, at all. I don't have it. And the ability to be bored. I. That's one thing that I'm like really big on now. Well, even wasn't it um, Jonah Hill was talking about that for the mid 90s movie. Mm. He said he had to find an 11 year old now who knew who could understand what it was like to, you know, be bored to just sit outside and like make stuff up, you know, like we don't know what that is anymore. And I don't have an answer. It is kind of sad to me. Um, it can be, I but, think, a little bit, but the only way to find a solution is to have a conversation about it. Right. So. And I think this is a conversation that we will continue to have. I think that social media is, we basically, we have to continue having this conversation if we are going to ultimately uh, go on a journey of, you know, mental health yeah. and uh, emotional health and truly kicking a habit that is uh, probably the, the biggest like yeah addiction of our age well, the trouble is we didn't know getting into it right. you know like we it was this big new exciting development so like you just like dive in head first right and then you get in and you're drowning and you're like oh my gosh what did i do you know and so i think like yeah now we're just having to put a life vest on to continue the <laughs> right <laughs> that's where we're at yeah so that um is i'm gonna wrap up the conversation there before we end up um talking for much longer yeah so uh thank you guys for listening to deeply curious we very much appreciate it um these conversations are very fun for us to have and we are happy mm-hmm. that we have found an audience that loves, you know, engaging and listening yeah. to these conversations. And we also do love you contributing to the conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, you know, this conversation is about, we hope that we can remain authentic to who we are. Yeah. And, you know, that that type of thing. And, and you know, the, at the uh, meetup, mm-hmm. I feel like that's something that almost every single person who came up to us mentioned or talked to us about was how much they just love how authentic we are and how real we are and i think that is testament to exactly what i'm what we are talking about right now yeah is that people are craving and they are searching for authenticity Mm -hmm. in people and i feel like if you are chasing an audience, if you are changing yourself for an audience, then you that is the opposite of being authentic. That mm-hmm. is the opposite of truly being yourself. And the thing that is that the that your audience craves is to see an authentic version of you. Yeah. So, go out there, create some stuff, be authentic. Yep. And uh, be un- be unapologetically unapologetically yourself. Yeah, don't worry about the numbers. And as a reminder, this podcast is brought to you by B and H Photo Video. B and H is an amazing resource for all of your photo, video, pro audio needs. Mm-hmm. You can check out 
the gear that we have by checking out the links in the show notes. And you can also check out the Deeply Curious merch by going to shop.deeplycurious.fm. Thank you guys for listening, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.